morning, Alan. How are you? Good morning, Narelle. I'd like to introduce everyone to Alan Parker. Alan Parker is the, uh, I'm not quite, he's a microbehavioural neuroscientist and linguist. Yeah. Alan owns a company called Peak Personal Development. And Alan is uh, a well-known, a very well-known mediator and uh, communications expert in Australia. And what we're talking about today is communication and accessibility, because Alan fronts a lot of conferences, a lot of cloud meetings, and he's the, um, what would you call it, Alan? The, he runs them, basically. He's the, oh, I'm trying to think of the word. The Not convener, me, the, the, convener, the, convener, the, the moderator, the moderator, the convener, yes, that's facilitator exactly sometimes. Yes, of meetings, and he works with many different large companies, government, private organisations, federal and state and local government, and large organisations to mediate disputes internationally. Alan also does a lot of training in communication worldwide. And Alan's actually just got back from Rome where he was uh, did some training over there for a, quite a large, actually a very large organisation. So thanks for coming and spending some time with us, Alan. Uh, absolute, absolute pleasure and a joy. Thank you. And, and if I may say, it was the, it was a quite a wonderful experience in many, many ways. Um, and and it is a lovely example of accessibility because the I had the pleasure and the privilege of being invited to teach at the Pontifical Gregoriana University. Oh my gosh, that is awesome. Uh, and it's it's actually the it's the very first Catholic university in the world. It was developed in the 15th century. Oh by, wow. by Pope Gregory. Pope Pontifical Gregoriana. Uh, and and yeah, um, yeah. If I'm wrong, let me know. But weren't you there just before Pope Benedict died? I was. We yeah. we must have I been very sad. Left, I left Rome two days before his passing, and I was in St Peter's. Um, two days before he passed, and there was a a huge amount of people there already. Yeah. Um, in the in St Peter's Square. Um, yeah, very sad, very, very sad passing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Alan, the reason I wanted to talk to you is I wanted to get a bit of an idea about how you handle accessibility mm. in your work, inclusivity, diversity. Alan yeah. and I've known each other for oh, two or three years now, Alan. I've, um, I've known of you for, I don't know. And that's know. the scary that's, part. A long I've known, time. I've known of you for about 15 years, I think. Yeah. Um, through meeting Jude, your sister. Yes. And I think we finally, having heard about you on many occasions, I think it was two and a half years ago, probably. Maybe yeah. a little more when we when we last when we first met. And that's it. I've got a very big interest in communication. And my sister and I do a lot of reading about neuro-linguistic programming and communication and interaction between people. And yes. we have these long discussions and 
we we have a lovely time, my sister and I. And so I've mm. heard of you through that as well. Just Jude saying, you know, what you've taught her. So, Alan, we were in, in your work. How do you manage accessibility? So on a face to face basis, on a Zoom meeting basis, it must be very interesting because mm -hmm. you would not necessarily know everyone's communication needs. No, very, it's a big, big question. Um, it is. I, I would, I'd tackle it a couple of different ways. Mm. How, how do I make Alan accessible to others? Yeah. So it's what do I do that makes me more accessible to other people, and what can I do? with and for other people that would allow us to have access to the information that we want to share. Yes. If that makes sense. So, so I, separate, I separate those two things first. Mm. So it's me first and then us second. Mm. Excuse me, I'm going to cough. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, a slight legacy of long haul travelling. Yes. Um, I um, I then have in my own head, Narelle, the the basic theory and principle that I can only influence that which I am attentive to and aware of. Yes. So I've, I've got a whole lot of A's mm. and. I've first of all got to be aware of where's my attention. Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to be interacting with you, my attention's got to be out on you. Yes. So before I interact with you, I actually prepare and think about what does Narell want. And I've got beside me my notepad, which has got the notes that I've already written beforehand, where I've thought, what's, what's Narell likely to want to be talking about? Okay, yes. So I I make sure my attention's out, not in. Mm -hmm. So I do the preparation. I get my thoughts out on paper so that when I come on with you, as we've done, my attention's fully out on Narell. And so I can then pay attention and listen to your input. Okay. Now you'll notice you introduced me and I straight away picked up on things you'd already said. Yes. I, so I, I linked to you. I didn't start with my point of view. Yes, that's true. You did too. Yes. And and that to me is a something that I have as a golden rule. As I must not. If somebody speaks before me, I must not jump straight into what Alan wants to say that I want to honour what you say and highlight and link to what you've said. Because I'm a, I'm a linguist, once I've honoured your contribution, I'm then thinking about what were the key words that Narelle just highlighted. And as you were talking, I wrote down two more words to remind me to stay with Narelle's input, not Alan's. So then my first comment is about things that you've said so that I honour your point of view. 
Okay. Uh, then I notice as you've just done, you stopped, you paused and you breathed and you looked up and your eyes are searching. <coughs> yeah, thinking. <laughs> and you're you're pausing and thinking. And um, while I notice you're taking a breath and pausing, I make sure I don't come in until you've actually breathed out. So I don't interrupt your process, but I attune myself to your process. How do you handle, Alan obviously knows I'm blind. Yes. So how do you handle communication with someone that's blind versus someone that's sighted from a moderator's point of view that does negotiation, moderation? Yeah. What um, are the differences? There's, there's, there's a lot of differences. The one thing I want to do is give you my what I call it's part of my universal behaviors and they are the behaviors that will work with anybody no matter mm -hmm. what their disability or their proclivity is um, and that is that when you speak and I listen to your point of view and I'm going to link to your point of view I always use your nouns or your verbs and I use your nouns or verbs because I know that, that in, being a neuroscientist, the back of my brain is the visual cortex and it makes pictures. And it makes pictures of nouns and verbs. Mm -hmm. So if I emphasize your noun, so Narelle, what you're asking is, how do we communicate with somebody who's sighted and how do we communicate with somebody who isn't sighted? Mm. Yeah. Yes. And what differences or similarities are there? Mm. So I repeat back your question to you and I put emphasis on the key nouns and verbs so that that ensures that I've got similar pictures running in my brain to the pictures that you've got in yours, which raises the point, another interesting point, if I can use you and Mark as the example, Mark's been blind since birth. Yes. You've, you've become blind. Mm. So your brain has a richer storage of visual memories from your past that you've experienced. Mark yes. has a library of imagined pictures because his brain still makes pictures. He just doesn't have a, a connection between that part of the brain and the eye. Yeah. OK, yeah, So it's it's more important when I speak with Mark to notice what his nouns and verbs are. Than it is with you. OK, yeah. Um, the other the other the other thing is that the speed of which we communicate is an indication of which part of the brain's working. So if you were to be speaking at that speed, I'd actually speed up and go at that speed. Okay, but right yep. now, at this point in time, I've been copying your speed. Now, the the speed of which we speak tells me which part of the brain is actually gathering the information. Oh wow! Yeah. So if I've got if I'm speaking in my picture brain, I'm going. I just want to talk to you about the fact that I was actually going to go for a ride on the bike with Michael when we finished. 
Mm. And now I've got a picture running of cycling by the river. Yes. And the visual brain creates pictures really, really quickly. And is inclined to jump ahead to the part, the future or to the past. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Whereas you've got a brain that's very vivid in its pictures, in its recall. That just isn't connected to your eye. But yeah, so, that's, that's it, yes. So your visual memory is more strong now than it would have been in the past. And I hadn't thought of that, but when mm. you talked about cycling with Michael along the river, I suddenly had a picture in my mind of you and Michael on your pushies riding along the river. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Now, the fact that I go riding, we're going riding along, you know, on our bikes. Yeah. Riding on our bikes is going to stimulate a strong picture. Yes, it did, straight yeah. away. Straight away. Now, if I'd have said, we're actually going to go and do some exercise, which is what's called unspecified language. Yeah. You'd have no picture at all. Well, you'd have that's a question. True. You'd have a question in your mind about, I wonder what form of exercise. Yeah, and that's exactly or, what I thought. Yeah. Or alternately, you might not be interested in exercise and go, who cares? Now, <laughs> let me tell you what I think. Yeah. So, in the world of in the world of linguistics, if we can if we can tune into the language that somebody's using particularly if they're not sighted, it's going to make a substantial difference. Now, the other, if I'm just going to want to make a leap, if I may. Yeah. If we would say that if you and Mark were my business partners, but you weren't blind, you were hearing impaired. Yes. Yeah. You'd be, for those people who get to watch this as an auditory, as a visual, video will notice that I use my hands very deliberately. Oh, so okay. if, I were, if I were talking to somebody who was auditory impaired, I began, so what we need to do is get a hold on this idea. And, and we're going to have to walk through each step along the way. I, I am presuming you're making movements with your hands, are you? I, I am. Yes. I am. I'm, I'm actually, for the, for the person who's sighted but can't hear, my hands are actually matching. Now, I don't, I don't sign. I don't yeah. understand. I don't do Auslan. Mm -hmm. But I'm very deliberate with my gestures. If I go, and we need to, we need to look forward into the future. Now, you'll notice... I'm putting my hands into the future to visually demonstrate to them we're going to the future. Okay. And we're making a picture of the future. Yep. But you'll notice that my head is still turning, it's facing you, so that you can still lip read me. Oh my gosh. And it's because simple things. Because I'm aware that you can't hear, you'll notice how much clearer my diction is and how much more movement there is in my mouth so that it makes it easier for them to lip root. Alan, these are really simple techniques. Unbelievably, it's why it's why I'm a microbehavioural scientist. Okay, let's throw one they're, more they're, at you. They're so little. Neurodiverse. Now watch that, the, the person who's auditory, when I go, it's so little. 
but it makes a powerful difference. Yeah. yeah. What about someone that's autistic, neurodiverse? Uh, two, two different terms. Yeah. Um, neurodiverse is really big and broad. Yes, and it is. It's, um, and in fact, I, I'm not in favour of its use very much because we are all neurodiverse. Actually, we, I agree with this, you. Yeah. There's this myth that there's a normal and a not normal. Um, and I think the truth of the matter is, let me do it this way. The truth of the matter is, and I'm going to, I'm going to make with my hands, I'm going to do an asterisk. Yep. Yep. So in inside the human communication process or the brain, and my hands are in the middle like a prayer at the minute. Yep. But there are some people whose brains love the past and I've just moved across to the past. Yep. And if I want to engage with somebody who's really, you know, a historian. Oh my gosh, yes. A historian is going to have a more developed past oriented brain than a futurist. Yes. <coughs> um, however, it's important to recognise that the brain's adaptable at a level we haven't even begun to understand. That yeah. I, me being, a, if, if I'm a historian, I would have a large amount of neuron development in my memory systems, way beyond what the average person will have. Yeah. yeah. And I'll have less development in the future oriented because that's not where I do a lot. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's a, what we call a timeline. There's a past, there's a present, there's a future. And all of us have a preference for being in one or the other. Now, because I'm a microbehavioral neuroscientist and a forensic linguist, I just happen to have a brain that's very present. Mm. Uh, and I, it means I can hold concentration for very long periods of time. It means I'm a very good listener for a very, very long time, so I'm good at moderating meetings. It means that I can, after an hour of a meeting, I can summarise what has been said in the meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've been so present and so attentive and frequently taken lots of notes. Yes. That I, for those people who've gone into the year, but what about, and gone back to their past concerns, or jumped to the future and gone, yeah, but how, how will we? Or what next? Mm -hmm. If If I can acknowledge that in any audience, if I'm running a meeting, I've got people with each of those preferences and I've got to attend to each of them. And that was going to be my question because when you walk into a room with a group of people, yes. obviously I'm quite obvious. I come with a guide dog or a yes. cane, depending on which tool yes. I'm using. Mark uses a cane. Yep. Mark's my business co-founder for those that are wondering. And yeah, Mark mm. has been blind since birth. Um, but you don't necessarily know if someone's wearing hearing aids. You don't necessarily know. I'm the very proud mum of two. Well, I've got three sons and two are autistic. Yeah. Now, you would not know to look at my sons that they no. are autistic. You do not know if you look at someone that they are dyslexic or have yeah. dyspraxia. Or yes. There is so many different, and I really hate the word 
abnormal because it's not abnormal. No, we are all, all normal. <laughs> How do you handle that? Because you've the the ability in front of twenty people, yes. twenty individuals yes. that may have a number of different issues that you cannot yeah. know. You might have met them for the first time. Yes. And you've got to get that message across. What tools Ooh. do you use? Now you're talking oh my about gosh. A whole, now you're talking about the answer to that's a whole degree in education. <laughs> I am I actually never thought we would be like going here. This is so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 an interesting and I I find it ever intriguing and it just stimulates my curiosity. Yeah. And I'm constantly going, wow, what's the implication of that? Yeah. Um, a couple of quick um, references back to your questions. Yeah. Um, we, if we do start talking about differences, and I won't do neurodiverse because I truly believe we all are. Oh, I think um, so too. And I'm I'm always cautious with autistic because there are it's a label that has many different classifications and types. Oh, now yes. The average punter is not going to watch this video and go, Alan Parker is extremely dyslexic and on the autistic spectrum. No. 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 And yet then also going to be surprised when I say, and I didn't read until I was 30. Yeah. And nobody in my family knew that I couldn't read. And no That's teacher, it. no teacher I had mm. knew that I couldn't read. I was a bright kid. I was the fourth of nine children. Yes. If my parents had time to help anybody, it was to help the others, not me. Yeah. And I helped the others. Mm. But I developed big ears and became a very good listener. But couldn't read. And that's because, adaptability. So, well, see, you have a blindness. I had a perceptual blindness. Yes. Because exactly. I could only see, I could only see two or three letters at a time. Mm. Now, that's a very unusual condition. Yeah. But not as unusual as most people think. Oh, okay. So the, I remember, I haven't looked at it for years, but I remember going back 30 years, looking at literature around the number of people who had reading disabilities in the general population. And I think it was something like about 70% had some form of learning reading disability. OMG. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Now there are a whole host of people who are really fast skimmers. Yeah who can get across stuff, can get across the gist of it, mm. but miss the detail. Yes. Yeah. Whereas you get somebody like me, I can, I, I've learned to speed read. Mm. Um, and, and that's just because I learned to stimulate the dormant neurons that were in, a, were sitting there waiting to be used. Yeah. yeah. And it, it required my it acquired, required awareness yes noticing where i put my attention mm -hmm. yeah. 
And you'll notice attention's important to me. You'll notice you've given me the problem of neurodiverse and autistic. Mm. I've acknowledged it, talked a little bit about it, but instead of talking about the problem, I've given you some solutions that are universal co-creating skills. Yes. So we're exactly. we're looking at needs and options, not getting caught in fixing the problem. Exactly. And that is what communication is about. It's such an important difference. Yeah. Yep. Such an important difference. It's not a barrier. There are not no. barriers. There are solutions. Yeah. We so frequently come in and we stick a label on. Now, I, I have the experience of you as a person for the last two and a half years. And if somebody asked me to describe you, blind wouldn't be in my first five minute description. Oh, thank you. Uh, you know, you're incredibly curious. Yes. You're incredibly curious. You're always looking for alternatives and possibilities. Um, you're incredibly optimistic. You are you were brave and feisty, feisty and ready to go. No, hang on, you can't do that. You've been talking to my sister. <laughs> it, it, no, but, but, I, but there's so much more to you, and we find these labels that we then get fixated on. Yes. Instead of going, how can we, how can we, how can we get Narelle and her friends who do the park run mm. to actually find their way into that conversation. Yeah. And be part of the conversation just what, by yeah. simple things. And the principle is we've got to go through the problem, not to the problem. What we're talking about there is I did a park run a couple of weeks ago and I was talking to some, there was three of us. So there was a group of blind people sitting at a table and there were three older women. We're not elderly, we're old. We have a, well, we're not even old. We're having a darn good time. Mm. And one of us, our, our aides went off to get cuppers for us. We actually have um, aides with us or guides with us, we call them, that they help us do the run so we can always do our PBs, those type of things, and they're matched to our speeds. Yes. They went, they go off and they get us our cuppers and we always buy them a cupper to say, look, thank you, we appreciate this. Yeah. And there were a group of people sitting down the other end of the table with a gap. And my friend Cheryl said, being blind is isolating. And we were talking about it because even though we could hear that conversation, we didn't know who was speaking. And because we have no visual cues, it's very hard to come in on a conversation without appearing rude. Yes. Gorge, any awkward. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a problem. And I, a couple of days later, I was speaking to a very good friend of mine and she's losing her hearing and she's in her mid seventies. And Gwen said the same thing. Mm. And her problem is face masks. Yes. So there's yes. two problems Gwen has is face masks. And when she's out to dinner with people, mm. she's not got that ability to work out who's speaking because yeah. the noise is all, it, it's too much noise at once. Yeah. So but the Randy, clarity of voice of is those, not there. Sorry. Um, 
each of those examples, Narelle, the the park run mm. situation and your friend hearing impaired. Yeah. Um, both of them are examples of where there's a really important opportunity available at that moment is in those situations I can either affirm the problem and when I affirm it I sit with the problem and in it. Yes. Or I can acknowledge the problem and explore and adapt. Because sometimes we sit around waiting for the other party to fix the problem. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that then is we, a big... we talk about them, not to them or with them. Yes. Yeah. And if if I as a um if I go back to my childhood not being able to read, um I adapted a technique uh, as a kid in the playground during morning tea and lunch breaks that I'd scout around the playground and I'd find the kids who were talking about what we'd just done in class. Okay. I didn't find the kids who were talking about what they did in the weekend or what television they saw last night. Yes. And I knew who talked about what was in the class. Mm -hmm. And I found them and went, and I'd park myself near them and listen. And I'd get a recap on what was covered in the class. Now, they'd also, they were the, the studious kids, so yeah. they'd also done some reading. Mm -hmm. And there was new stuff that they came up with that I did, couldn't get from the book that I got from them yes. in those conversations. It's, it really is a place where no matter who we are or what it is, if we're not getting our needs met, we we got to acknowledge it, not complain about it, but provide feedback or be adaptive to it. And can I adapt small things to interrupt the pattern that I'm involved in to create a new pattern? Alan, but, I've just seen the time. <laughs> We could sit and talk and talk and talk, and I hope you don't mind, but can we please have another conversation another yeah, day? Because I think this is just the most fascinating information and discussion that we're having. You know, communication is the basis of our, any relationship. Pretty much. <laughs> and if yeah. communication needs are not being met, yeah. then there's no relationship, or there's a very bad relationship. Yeah. Narelle, one of my favourite sayings you've just said half of, um, if what you're doing isn't working. Yeah. And I forget how you finished it, but I'd go, if what, you didn't, what you're doing isn't working, do anything else. Yes. <laughs> but I would, I would love to pick up, and I feel like we've just scratched the surface. I think we have too, and I'll give you one of my favourite sayings. Be not afraid. I go before you always. There's always help there. Yeah. It's Beautiful. a person being not Oof. afraid and just saying, you know what? I don't know how to do this, but darn, there is someone out there that will know. Let's yes. find a solution. Yeah. Beautiful. Oof. Thanks, Alan.
been a joy. It's been great. So Absolute I'll talk to you pleasure. next time. I look forward to it. Yeah.